Your eyes and your vision are under attack, damaging blue light from the sun. Your phone, your computer, your tablet, even light bulbs and car headlights is constantly bombarding you. The good news is our eyes actually already have a line of defense to counter the effects of blue light. This defense is made up of three pigments called carotenoids. MacuHealth with Micromycel, the only supplement with the exclusive patent on all three macular carotenoids and Micromycel technology. Do your patients know what presbyopia is? There are people who are afraid of the press. Have you talked to your patients about multifocal contact lenses? I've heard the bifocal, but not right, multifocal. Do you need help with your multifocal strategy? Learn more at the conclusion of this episode. With more screen usage and indoor time, myopia, also known as nearsightedness, is increasing and getting worse in children. Now, certified eye doctors can prescribe my sight one day, the first and only FDA-approved soft contact lens to slow myopia progression in age-appropriate children. Visit coopervision.com to find a Brilliant Futures certified eye doctor near you. Good morning, I'm Dr. Kerry Gelb, and welcome to Open Your Eyes Radio. Please listen as I discuss the newest information in the world of health, nutrition, and sports every Saturday morning, 9 a.m. Central Time on AM 1280 of The Patriot. Also, please share your thoughts by emailing me at drkerrygelb at gmail.com. That's D-R-K-E-R-R-Y-G-E-L-B at gmail.com. And visit my website, drkerrygelb.com. A cataract is a clouding of the lens of the eye which is typically clear. For people who have cataracts, seeing through cloudy lenses is like looking through a frosty window. Clouded vision caused by cataracts can make it more difficult to read, drive at night, or see facial expressions. Age is the most common cause of cataracts. Other causes include trauma, diabetes, steroid treatment, and radiation treatment for cancer. The miracle of cataract surgery has made incredible advances over the past 20 years. Today's guest, return guest, New York, New Jersey cataract surgeon, Dr. Alan Cohen, MD. Dr. Cohen is a board certified ophthalmologist. He has a fellowship in cornea and refractive surgery. Dr. Cohen has dedicated his life to the mission of providing sharp, youthful vision, both at distance and near to patients of all ages. Again, Dr. Cohen is a return guest, and today we're going to talk about the miracle of cataract surgery and how it could restore sight. Dr. Cohen, thank you for joining me again today. Thank you, Katie. Thank you for having me. You know, Dr. Cohen, we share a lot of patients. I refer a lot of patients to you. Uh, you've done many cataract surgeries, corneal surgeries on my patients, and I just want to publicly thank you for the great work that you do with my patients. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. So I want to ask you for our audience out there, exactly what are cataracts? And people want to know, do we still use the term ripe as when to have cataract surgery? When, is people, when do people need to have cataract surgery? Yeah, so let me start by discovering what cataract surgery is. Cataract is basically the clouding of the natural lens inside your eyes. Our eye, very similar to a camera, has a lens inside of it. And uh, as we grow older and due to different types of pathologies, the cataract, which is supposed to be, the, the lens that is supposed to be clear becomes cataractous, meaning that it becomes cloudy. This cloudiness prevents the light from coming into the eye and reduces our vision. 
cataract surgery traditionally many years ago it's been performed through an open incision so since the lens is a pretty big structure they used to open the eye and just express the lens out and then close it with sutures uh the the term ripe cataract uh is coming from that era because in order for the cataract to come out nicely and not get squished into the eye it needed to be ripe and solid it could not be a soft cataract some of the cataracts that we do today could be soft could be still cloudy but they could be soft but with the with the technique of opening the eye the the, the easiest way to do it if the cataract was really hard and you would just open that incision and they would express it up hence the term ripe cataract we don't use that term uh, that much any longer because this is not how we do cataract surgery anymore. Today, the way to do cataract surgery is through a small incision, uh, which does not require suture. It's microscopic and it heals almost instantly. That's very fascinating. And I want to talk about the epidemiology of cataracts because we are very fortunate in this country because the leading cause of blindness worldwide is cataracts and but in and half of the world's blindness is cataracts but in our country the surgical techniques are so fantastic that very few people are blind anymore from cataracts and most people have coverage either from medicare or private insurance and if they don't have coverage there's usually charities that could help people with cataract surgery. So there are very few people, luckily, in our country that are blind from cataracts. When I did my documentary, and we were in Costa Rica, and I was comparing the techniques that's used in cataract surgery in Costa Rica and third world countries compared to our techniques, wow, that's quite a that's really an incredible difference. If you could comment a little bit about how advanced we are in our country versus third world countries where people don't even have access to cataract surgery. I understand. So cataract surgery uh, requires some instrumentation, namely a FACO machine, which is basically a device that provides, it's a probe that provides ultrasound energy. And when we go through a microscopic uh, incision with this device, this device can slowly melts the lens and suck it out. Now, uh, in the third world countries, they may not have access to a FACO machine and they may still rely on older techniques like exocapsular cataract extraction to remove the lens, which could be a good technique uh, if, you know, if the surgeon knows exactly how to do it and how to use the sutures. But of course, in in United States, the, the, the best way to do the cataract surgery is microincisional cataract surgery. Uh, there are two pieces of equipment that evolved uh, in the recent years I wanted to mention in the field of cataract surgery. One of them being that the FACO machine became more and more sophisticated. The FACO, or the ultrasound machine, uses uh, uh, ultrasound energy. It's basically a translational movement of the probe back and forth that causes almost like a jackhammer effect and uh, breaks down the lens and sucks it up. In recent years, they're introduced not only longitudinal back and forth, but also a rotational, a rotational movement to it. So it both rotates and can, can both rotate and go back and forth in order to suck out the lens. A newer addition that was 
added on top of that is uh, the addition of laser cataract surgery or what we call a femtocataract surgery. With femtocataract surgery, a lot of the critical stages of the cataract surgery, like the making of the wound, uh, the uh, formation of the capsulorexis, which is basically an opening on the top of the lens to allow access for the surgeon to remove the lens from within the capsule, and also the breaking down of the lens itself is done with the laser while the eye is still closed prior to the surgery. So we first place the patient under the laser, the laser carries out this uh, procedure. And after this is done, we take the patient uh, into the operating room and uh, perform the operation. Of course, this is a very uh, safe and very, uh, reproducible type of procedure and the accuracy is fantastic every patient asks us can the whole procedure be done with a laser and if it can't why not the, the whole procedure right now cannot be done with a laser because what the laser helps us to do is laser is very good with cutting and we can do the cutting with the laser but we eventually need to remove the cataract from the eye and in order to remove the cataract from the eye, even when the laser is cut, we need to have a probe that has suction and that has irrigation. Now, when we use this probe with the laser, the amount of ultrasound energy, or you can think of it the amount of jackhammering that we do, is a lot less because the lens is already cut into tiny little pieces and very minimal energy is needed just to, to remove it but still we need to use manual technique and the surgeon's skill and uh, experience is extremely paramount to making this procedure successful and flawless. So talk to us about why diabetes is a sign that somebody's aging faster than they should be and why diabetics get cataracts 10 years sooner than non-diabetics. So diabetics basically affects the microvascular blood vessels uh, that supply blood everywhere in the eye. Now, the lens itself does not have any blood vessels in it, but there are blood vessels, plenty of blood vessels and micro blood vessels around the eye. And the restriction uh, that is caused by the vasculature and leakage of the vasculature can cause a lot of problems, not only cataract, but it can cause to problems with the retina as well, uh, a problem known as diabetic retinopathy can cause inflammation of the retina and can cause bleeding and other problems. In terms of the cataract, the cataract remains clear as long as all the supporting structure that deliver oxygen and nutrients to it are optimally functional. And when you get hit with diabetes, those functions are degraded, and that's what causes the cataract to form more rapidly. So I want to answer your question as a surgeon. You know, I see your patients after. Patients can't see very well. They can't drive before cataract surgery. Some of them have trouble reading their mail. And then after cataract surgery, it's really like a miracle for the patient. And they're so thrilled. They're so happy. And now with the new, what we're going to talk about in a little while, the new intraocular implants that people could actually read. But from a cataract surgeon's point of view, how do you feel when somebody 
it's like they have tears coming down their face because now they could see when they couldn't see before the cataract surgery. And I've seen this these tears many times. So, uh, Dr. Gale, you just hit the, the, the nail on the head. So this is actually the reason that I went to ophthalmology uh, because I wanted to see this immediate transformation. I think this is one of the uh, very few surgical fields that you can see such dramatic transformation just one day after the surgery. And uh, depending on the degree of the cataract, uh, most patients are very close to 2020, the day after cataract surgery, and they can go back to their daily functions without any problems. I usually tell my patients uh, that they can go ahead and resume all their daily functionalities without any restrictions. Of course, this could vary from surgeon to surgeon based on the specific technique, and I recommend the patients to consult their surgeons about the restrictions. But to my patients, I tell, just go right after the cataract surgery, go back to your daily life, you can do everything you want. You can take a shower, you can play tennis, you can do whatever it is that you do usually. And just repeat, when can they go back typically? How many days do they have to wait after the surgery? For what? To go back to the regular activities. They can go... I tell my patients that they can, if the if the surgery is a routine surgery, of course we have a certain class of surgeries that are considered complex, and some special instructions may apply to those cases. But I would say ninety to ninety five percent of the cases, I tell the patients just go back to your daily life right away. There is no reason to to wait. Uh, the vision may not be clear right away. The patients immediately after the surgery they're dilated a little bit. Things might be a little bit bright. Uh, and also, sometimes the cornea is slightly swollen for maybe a day or two after the surgery. So the vision might not be perfect right away. But most patients can return to all their daily activities immediately after surgery. You know, the classic painters, as they got older and they started getting cataracts, their paintings became much duller. One of the things people say is their color vision. They could see colors again. It's it's incredible. Yes. So one of the things that we see uh, with cataract is that the cataract, uh, it's kind of starts with being yellowish and then it turns into being brownish. And what happens is since this doesn't happen overnight, happens over many years, it basically changes our reference point to colors and it very uh, affects the artist significantly. So a lot of people that when I do the cataract surgery on the eye that had the cataract surgery now has a clear lens in the eye and it's seeing the colors as they should be seen. But now this patient tells me, listen, things look more blue in this eye that did. They don't look real. I said, no, these are the real colors. And this is the way that you used to see when you were a kid and you had a clear lens. The, you are comparing it to the other eye. Once we do the other eye, both of them will be equal and you will see the true colors. People want to know when is a time that they need cataract surgery? How do they know that when they need it? When do they need it? So cataract surgery, the diagnosis of cataract surgery itself needs to be done by a professional. But if you're having trouble with daily life, one of the most common uh, symptoms of cataract before even sharpness of vision becomes an issue is a glare. So 
It's a general glare program. And when you drive at night, you will see a glare, a strong glare around lights of the other cars that are approaching you. And there are, uh, you know, a, a lot of other symptoms. Sometimes it can be accompanied with double vision. And sometimes it's just a general degradation of the vision. And you feel that you don't see clearly. Almost there's, there is some sort of a veil in front of the eye. But I, I must tell you that in many cases, the cataract is actually not felt directly by the patient because, again, it happens very slowly. And it's not like they wake up one day and say, oh, I don't see clearly today, but they slowly get used to the, uh, to the function of the eyes and they don't diagnose the cataract. So therefore, cataract is best diagnosed by uh, your eye doctors. And people want to know, is cataract surgery painful? So cataract surgery should not be painful. I tell my patients to expect uh, nearly no pain, although the, in certain circumstances, uh, there could be some level of mild pain associated with it. So what, the way that we do cataract surgery today is uh, with numbing drops that completely numb the eye and the patient doesn't feel anything in the eye. The patients that usually have a harder time are the ones that are extremely stressed and they squeeze and move. And it is not really the procedure that causing the pain, but patients own stress that is acting up on them and make them feel uncomfortable. The, the surgery should be uh, painless. And do you use propofol and any other types of anesthesia to help with the pain? Well, we use something called a cocktail, and this cocktail can vary uh, significantly from anesthesiologist to anesthesiologist, and it can contain either a combination of any of the following, propofol, uh, it, it, sometimes they put a little bit of lidocaine to prevent uh, coughing, uh, it can contain Versed, uh, and it can even contain ketamine. And uh, some, sometimes they have specific prescriptions that they mix it in a specific ratio, which keeps the patient awake. We, want, we don't want the patient to go completely to sleep, but also we want the patient to be in, in a zone that they're very comfortable and very relaxed. So is it similar to like a colonoscopy where they forget everything pretty much and you walk in there you say hi mrs jones and they don't remember ever seeing you doing the surgery yes it's a little bit lighter than what they give for colonoscopy i would say that 50 percent of the patients do and 50 percent don't remember exactly what happened during surgery but i get i get many times that when i do one eye and then i do the second eye they're telling me oh we didn't we didn't feel anything in the first eye we're feeling it in the second eye but it's really something that will, they will forget with time because it's just uh, the effect of the medications that are causing something called retrograde amnesia. They completely forget. And how about food? How long do they have to not drink or eat? Uh, they could drink water, but how long maybe no food or anything significant? So what we tell patients is no food past midnight the day before the surgery. Uh, and no food or drink. Uh, in the morning of the surgery, the patients that have uh, bl high blood pressure, we don't want their blood pressure to be out of control in the operation. So we tell them to take their blood pressure medications with a tiny sip of water in the morning of the surgery. And if they take any medications for diabetes, we tell them to hold off on the medications 
until after the surgery when they eat and they can take their medication longer. And, and no water either. You don't want them having. No, water. no, we don't want them to drink anything past midnight. Eat, drink or eat anything. And what if they have other eye issues like macular degeneration, a little bit of macular degeneration or glaucoma? Now there's combined procedures and you could put an eye stent in. Yeah, so let me talk about the different things that can affect the eye. So uh, when we do cataract surgery, you can have a lot of other problems like macular degeneration, glaucoma that are affecting the eye in addition to the cataract surgery. When we do the cataract surgery, the vision improves. The vision improves to the degree that the other conditions will allow. For example, you cannot expect to see 2020 if you have a very severe macular degeneration. However, the vision will still improve. It will improve to the degree that the macular degeneration can allow. With regards to glaucoma, there have been recent advances in recent year uh, with a group of procedures referred to as MIGS, which stands for microinvasional uh, glaucoma surgery. So basically, uh, these are surgeries that are done at the time of the cataract surgery, whereas we put a tiny stent in the drainage system of the eye called the trabecular meshwork. And this drainage system allows the water not to accumulate in the eye. And Hold that thought, Dr. Cohn. We're with Dr. Elon Cohn of the Cohn Eye Institute. He has locations in Old Bridge, Ridgewood, Manhattan, and Elmhurst. This is Dr. Kerry Gelb for AM 1280, The Patriot. Open your eyes, radio. We'll be right back. MacuHealth, your science-born and tested solutions for visual performance, macular degeneration, and dry eye syndrome. New products coming soon. Embrace the science. This is Dr. Kerry Gelb for Open Your Eyes Radio on AM 1280 The Patriot. We're speaking with Dr. Alan Cohen of the Cohen Institute, cataract surgeon, corneal surgeon, fantastic surgeon, fantastic person, and somebody I work directly with. Uh, this is Dr. Kerry Gelb for Open Your Eyes Radio. Uh, you can see my podcast uh, on wherever you get your podcasts. A new one is released every Monday morning in addition to the radio show, in addition to this radio show. And you can watch my documentary, Open Your Eyes, on Apple TV, Amazon Prime, YouTube, movies, and shows. And you can email me at drkerrygelb at gmail.com and visit my website, drkerrygelb.com. And right before the break, Dr. Cohn was talking about combined procedures that someone has glaucoma and they also have cataracts. And he was talking about a stent. So can you continue that thought and explain to people why we would use that a stent with somebody who has glaucoma with cataract surgery? So when we do cataract surgery, uh, it's an opportunity uh, that we are already in the eye. And once we remove the cataract, it's very easy. Another maybe one or two minutes of a procedure to add, to put a, a stent in the eye. The stent is basically a bypass valve that bypasses the trabecular meshwork, which is the natural drainage system of the eye. And by draining the, the internal water of the eye, it reduces the pressure of the eye. So with glaucoma patients, of course, we want to bring their pressure as low as possible. And this group of surgeries, uh, microinvasive glaucoma surgery, they allow us to, to do this procedure. 
How effective do you think the MIGs are? There are a lot of different types of MIGs. So a MIG, there, there, are, there is a goniotomy, which basically, in this case, uh, the surgeon goes in and removes portion of the trabecular meshwork, which is basically a filtration that provides resistance to the flow of water. By removing this, the, the water can flow a lot easier. That's one group. And the other group is uh, the eye stents that they, we can put anywhere from one to three stents in the trabecular meshwork to bypass the trabecular meshwork. The effectiveness of the procedure varies very widely based on surgeon's skill and the condition of the patient. Uh, I see patients with eye stents, uh, with two to three eye stents coming down as much as five to six uh, points in pressure. Uh, with goniotomy, depending on how many degrees of trabecular meshwork were removed, we can even get a greater effect sometimes up, up, up to seven to eight uh, degrees of pressure. Now people wanna know, are they gonna have to stay in the hospital after cataract surgery? No, cataract surgery is an outpatient procedure. Uh, you come in and you leave, go back home. The procedure takes less than 10 minutes on average, and you can resume all your daily activities immediately after the surgery. And how about an eye patch? Are they going to have to wear an eye patch after cataract surgery? Some surgeons use an eye patch. Usually an eye patch is used when we use something called a retrobulbar injection which is a needle that goes behind the eye to completely numb the eye. I don't use that technique. I use the technique uh, where we numb the eye with eye drops. So we really avoid an injection behind the eye, which potentially could be risky because sometimes it could hit blood vessels and cause bleeding. So I don't use a patch. What I use is just a clear shield through which they could see as soon as they leave the operating room and they can take it off uh, while they're walking around, but I want them to wear it for three nights at night when they go to sleep to make sure that they don't hit their eye inadvertently with their hand or with the pillows or something like that. But in general, I do not use the patch. And how about drops after surgery, antibiotics, non-steroidals? Uh, so there are... Yeah, so there are a few drops that we use. Uh, we usually use a combination of antibiotics to prevent infection, a steroid to reduce the inflammation, and another anti-inflammatory drop, which is a non-steroidal, it's somewhat similar to Advil and aspirin, that has also been proven to, to reduce the uh, incidence of certain types of inflammation in the eye. So generally, three different drops, anywhere from two to six weeks after the surgery. And how do people usually do with the drops? They deal with it very well. There are also uh, uh, compounding pharmacies that mix these drops all together. So the patient doesn't need to use three different drops. They can just use one drop. Uh, but it depends. It can vary significantly from surgeon to surgeon. Now, let's talk about the type of intraocular lens implants. So we, we're taking out the body's natural lens that's inside the eye, and we have to replace it. In the old days, I remember when I did my residency many years ago, there were, that was before there was a lot of implants, and people would have to wear very, very thick glasses. You know, thank God that's not the case anymore, and we could replace it with an artificial lens. So let's talk about 
replacing the implant. Let's talk, start, start with a standard implant, what that is, how you determine what it should be, and then let's move to the different type of uh, multifocal or implants where you could read it, and even ones for astigmatism. Let's start, let's make it easy for the audience. Let's go uh, methodically, start with the standard implant. Okay, so let me first make sure people understand how the surgery is done. With the surgery, basically, cataract surgery, what we're doing, we're removing your natural lens and we exchange it with another lens. So removal of the lens and putting a new lens in the eye. Some patients ask me, oh, doctor, do I have to put a lens in the eye? The answer is absolutely. When we take out your lens, we have to put a lens in the eye. The question is, what type of lens we put in your eye? The ideal situation is if we can take the patient's vision as close as possible to the vision of a healthy and young eye, to the same level of functionality, the ability to see near and distance without having to switch between glasses for near and distance. So there has been a lot of uh, advances in, in the recent years with these lenses. The very basic lens that has been around for uh, many, many years, maybe more than 50 years, is the monofocal lens. This is basically a lens that has a fixed focus. It cannot change and it cannot allow you to see near or distance. When we put this lens in the eye, if the patient doesn't have any other conditions, such as astigmatism or other uh, refractive problems that could hinder the vision, they usually should see pretty good for distance. They still may need a small prescription, but the distance is generally decently clear. However, for using com computer or for any type of reading, they need special glasses 100% of the time. So in order to make things better, the lenses become more and more advanced. So the first thing that happened was the introduction of toric lenses. So I talked to you first, uh, first about astigmatism. So patients that have astigmatism, if we use a monofocal lens, we leave the astigmatism uncorrected. But now with a lens that's called a toric lens, we can correct the astigmatism. You can explain, explain what astigmatism is. Okay, so I'll, I'll try to explain it in a very simple term. Imagine that your eye is supposed to be like a basketball, right? Astigmatism means that the lens of your eye is somewhat more like a football or your, your eyes somewhat like a football. And in one axis, the power of the lens is stronger in the other. In order to correct the vision in such patients, if we use a circular lens, it will not correct this irregularity. But if we use a lens that has a similar shape to the football, we're going to be able to correct the astigmatism as well. So the astigmatic correcting lenses were the first class of lenses that uh, were introduced in cataract surgery. After that, there was a, a group of multifocal lenses. Let that... me interrupt just for one second. When you put the lens for astigmatism in the eye, is it a different technique than when you're using a standard, uh, you're placing a standard lens? The technique is exactly the same, ex except the end of the surgery. At the end of the surgery, the astigmatic lenses need to be aligned uh, with the steep, what we call the steep axis of the cornea. You can think of it 
they should be aligned with the tips of that football that I talked about before. That's the only difference between the toric lens and the uh, putting the toric lens and the standard lens. And how do we know that it's aligned with the steep axis? How do you know, how do you know when you're doing the surgery? So we do a lot of uh, a variety of different measurements. Uh, we do a measurement called topography, where we measure the front surface of the cornea and we see how uh, steep the cornea is. We also sometimes use the refraction information, the information of the patient's prescription to guide us more about the axis. This uh, deal of finding the exact axis and the exact power of the lens is not only a science, but also an art. And it's something that comes with experience of doing thousands of these in order to be able to get them perfectly spot on. Before the break, Dr. Cohen, we were talking about multifocal and extended range uh, implants. Tell us what the difference is and uh, why would one person be better for some and another person better than other based on their needs? Okay, so the multifocal lenses basically in general are uh, focused both for near and distance. Uh, the, the latest uh, models are actually focused both for near, intermediate, and distance. So you can think of it as having three lenses in one. The lens is focused for distance, but it's also focused for near and intermediate. Now, this is a lot of patients ask me, oh, is it like the, the progressive glasses when you need to look down to read and look straight to see distance? No, this is a completely different mechanism. And maybe later we could get into the mechanism, but I don't think it's going to be too much of an interest, but it's outside the scope. But what you need to understand is that it has three different focal points. These are the multifocal lenses. The extended range uh, focus lenses is lenses that uh, their focus is not only for distance, but it's kind of extended to include some near as well. Now, these usually don't focus perfectly for near. So they are not good if you just want to be completely independent of glasses and see perfectly 2020 at, at, at a very close range, but they are fantastic for intermediate vision, for example, computer work uh, and anything that is, I would say, at arm's length, they would be fantastic for. The, the, why would one choose one versus the other? There are a lot of different variations in individuals in terms of their uh, eye parameters, the measurements of the cornea, the measurements of the eye itself. The parameters tell the surgeon which one of these lenses is most likely to give the patient the best possible outcome. Of course, it depends on patient expectation as well. You don't want to put an extended range vision lens on a patient that is expecting to have a perfect near vision. And uh, one of the things to keep in mind is that some of these lenses in a very small percentage of cases can cause some sort of problems like halos or circles around lights. These lenses uh, need to be perfectly positioned during surgery. We, we talked before about the toric lenses and how they need to be twisted into the correct axis right after the surgery. 
the lenses that are multifocal also need to be positioned right after the surgery, right on the visual axis. So we need to make sure that the center of the lens is aligned with the center of the visual axis. So there are lenses that are multifocal and toric. So in those lenses, we need to both align with the axis and align uh, with the uh, uh, touristy. So with the extended range lenses, there was accommodating lenses. Are they still used anymore? So another group of lenses are accommodating lenses. The accommodating lenses, uh, the very first generation of accommodating lenses is a lens called crystal lens. And it was thought that the crystal lens actually moves back and forth with the musculature of the eye that uh, are responsible for moving uh, the young lens when the lens is still in the eye. And later we found that this may not be ex the exact mechanism and maybe the, 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 it's really a fancy extended range vision rather than an accommodating lens. But this lens is rarely used today. Uh, the extended range visions that are used most often are uh, the symphony lens and the VVT lens. They have two completely different uh, modes of action uh, I don't want to go into too much detail, uh, but in terms of their mechanism of action, VVT is considered a refractive lens. It, it works by introducing certain changes to the surface of the lens. And the uh, Symphony is a lens that is a diffractive lens. That's a different type of optical principle that it works on. And they are each good for certain individual depending on their individual characteristics of the eye. And these are both extended uh, extended range lenses. Correct. Those are extended range. One of the reasons uh, I like these lenses is that the chance that these lenses will cause any type of visual phenomena, which is even very rare in the multifocal lenses, it's extremely low here. Uh, so if I have somebody, someone who is a pilot, who is a truck driver, who's a professional athlete, like playing golf or playing tennis, uh, or a hunter, I like to put these extended range vision, uh, I'm maybe more likely to choose those and recommend those rather than the multifocal lenses. And what are the brands of the multifocals? What's the name of those? So there are a few different brands. Uh, the, the, the one that is most commonly used is Panoptics. The other one is called Restore. Uh, there is a few other ones that I cannot recall their names. They're made by different companies. Usually the two biggest companies that make these lenses are AMO and Alcon. And let's talk about light-adjusted lenses. Those are something that's kind of a new kid on the block and seems kind of interesting. Uh, have you used many of them? And how are the results with these compared to the multifocal or the ERLs, the extended range lenses? Okay, so the, the light adjustable lenses are for a very different purpose. The, the reason that the light adjustable lenses came into the market is that we, there is always a certain degree, degree of uncertainty when we do measurement for cataract surgery. We are relying on extremely accurate equipment to measure in the micron level. A micron is 1,000 of a millimeter. And even small variations in individual eyes 
could cause the uh, calculations not to be 100% accurate. However, in today's day and age with the devices that we have, the results are fairly accurate. They're very close uh, to zero for distance, which what we want them to be. There are some patients that occasionally have a very small amount, maybe a quarter of adapter or a half adapter of myopia or hyperopia uh, that, that are left with the old fashioned technology. The light adjustable lens is a lens that after we put the lens in the eye, we can adjust the power of the lens in the office with the ultraviolet device. So this gives us an added level of accuracy that we can make sure that the patient is extremely uh, close to zero and as sharp as possible. The vision is 2020. The downside to these lenses is that they don't yet come in multifocal modes. They only come in uh, either a, uh, a monofocal or toric version. You think a multifocal is on the horizon with these lenses? Uh, it's very hard for me to imagine because multifocal, uh, multifocality uh, involves a very different type of mechanism. As I said before, it's a diffractive mechanism. And I think they need to significantly up the science before they come up uh, with a diffractive lens that is also light adjustable. I think what's much more likely to happen is that they will come up with more complex accommodating lenses that we can talk about later. So as we're wrapping up, tell us about something in the next 20, 20 seconds or so, anything that's new technology that you're excited about that's coming out when it, with, these, with these implants for the eye after cataract surgery? Yes, the, the most exciting technology that is on the rise uh, and it's not too far in my opinion, probably four to five years, I think it becomes widespread is the true accommodating lenses. So these are lenses that fit, in, fit themselves into the human capsule, the capsule that contains the lens. They fit themselves in and they work very similar to the eye's young lens. So they actually change their shape as the muscles of the eye contract and release. So this changes shape can change the focus that you're looking at very, very similar to the way that a young person is doing it. I want to thank Dr. Cohen for joining me today. Dr. Cohen, if people want to find out more about you, how can they do it? You can go on my website, uh, coheneyeinstitute.com, and uh, you can learn more. Dr. Cohen, I thanks again for joining me today. You're a wealth of information, and you're a great person. Thank you. Thank you very much, Dr. Gill. This is Dr. Kerry Gell for Open Your Eyes Radio on AM 1280, The Patriot. See you next week. Your eyes and your vision are under attack, damaging blue light from the sun. Your phone, your computer, your tablet, even light bulbs and car headlights is constantly bombarding you. The good news is our eyes actually already have a line of defense to counter the effects of blue light. This defense is made up of three pigments called carotenoids. MacuHealth with Micromicell, the only supplement with the exclusive patent 
on all three macular carotenoids and micromycel technology. Fitting multifocal contact lenses presents a big opportunity to meet patient needs while growing your practice. Alcon is your partner, not only with our innovative portfolio, but through e-learning. Learn to enhance your multifocal strategy today with the Alcon Experience Academy. OIE Broadcasting is the emerging leader in social media. We use scientific entertainment to drive more patients into your office. Visit OIEBroadcasting.com and sign up today.